0: Hi everyone, so great to be with you. My name is Ralph. I'm part of the team here in Manchester heading up Campus Awakening. And it's my pleasure to be taking the next part in our Philippians series this morning. We're going to be looking at chapter 3 from verse 16 into chapter 4 to verse 3. Philippians, as you know, it was a letter sent by Paul um, from prison um, to one of the Jesus communities that he started in the Roman colony of Philippi. It's essentially made up of a number of sections um, vignettes, as they're called by The Bible Project, and um, all of which orbit around the center of gravity, which is the hymn about Jesus that we find in chapter 2. Today's passage we we're looking at is part of the same vignette that Katie and Phil have been walking us through in the last couple of weeks, the main idea of which is how Paul himself is an example of how we are to follow Jesus, namely that we count everything else as filth compared to knowing him, and that we shouldn't be satisfied, shouldn't be satisfied with where we are, but press on to the future and go after everything that God has for us. So if you missed those talks, go back and check them out. But the context of what we're talking about today is very much the same. Like, how should I follow Jesus? What does that look like? And perhaps you're thinking, okay, okay, I get it. Just be a good Christian, get your head down, plow on, do all the right things. Awesome. Great point. I'm now going to think about what I'm going to have for lunch and uh, tune out. But please don't, because I think actually what is in this passage is super exciting and actually really important for how God wants to transform the whole of society. So um, no pressure on what I'm about to share. But um, let's crack on and read the passage. So uh, yeah, Philippians 3, starting at verse um, 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, Odia, oh and I entreat Sintike to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Okay, so going back to verse 17, um, pretty obviously what we're thinking about today are examples. Um, Other translations use the word patterns. But basically what we're thinking about is seeing in other people and in the way that they live their life um, a model for how we can live our life, a model that we can and should imitate. And the reality that in looking at others we get both permission and suggestion for how to be ourselves. Now remember what I said about chapter 2, that's the center of gravity of this whole book. And it's basically the idea that Jesus is the ultimate example, that um, he's the one that Paul is following and he's the one that we should all be following. So everything we talk about today, and to be honest, every part of the Christian walk kind of um, needs to be seen through the lens of that passage. So if you're not familiar with it yet, please rectify that as soon as you can. But um, it's important to be aware of as we're walking through. But my first thing to pull out from this verse, verse 17, is that phrase, um, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the same example. And I want you to notice um, how there's an emphasis on the corporate nature of following Jesus. It's not an individual pursuit. You know, our discipleship, our Christianity is inherently connected to other people. And any move away from that to something that is just a private, personal thing, me on my own, should be resisted. Christ is coming back for a body, not a collection of individuals. In other words, discipleship doesn't happen in a vacuum. We're influenced by others as we influence those who are around us. So as we're getting into it today, some good questions to um, have in the front of your mind are these. Just who exactly are you following? Who are you imitating? Whose patterns are you continuing? Whether consciously or not, whose way of living, whose behaviours, whose belief systems are shaping your own. Similarly, who is following you? What does your life encourage? What behaviours and patterns are you starting that others are going to follow after? So Paul's talking about um, examples, he's talking about patterns, but he's doing it in the context of persevering in faith. And in doing so, he's helping us shift our focus From even from something as intimately and intensely personal as our walk with Jesus, he's shifting our focus away from ourselves and onto other people. And that our commitment to discipleship goes beyond just us. It's not about us doing well and getting a good grade at the end of it. As we'll see later on, it's actually this is the way that God is reshaping the whole world. Okay, the next verse, uh, verse 18. Um, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ." Okay, so the big question here is, who are we talking about? Who are these enemies that, um, that Paul is referencing? What is an enemy of Christ? Now, we're not entirely sure about who he is specifically referring to in this letter. Possibly it could be the false teachers that, um, that were talking about circumcision. It could be um, some former brothers that might have fallen away. Um, it could be someone else entirely, but it doesn't really matter because the point is um, what Paul is doing is he is showing that these guys, the enemies of the cross, ultimately are offering a contrasting example to what Paul himself is offering. So um, while he and the brothers are giving us an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus, um, as he's been explaining up till now through the letter, many have, in fact, gone in the opposite direction. So on the one hand, we've got the way of Jesus following Paul. And on the other, we've got the enemies of the cross. And this is important because it, it adds weight to what Paul was saying. When he says, imitate me, that's great. But actually, with this verse, we realize what's at stake if we don't. Because um, it's easy to, to, to read that verse 17 and think of it as, OK, right. Paul's a good idea. He knows what he's doing. He's got some good thoughts. Um, I'm going to get around to following those at some point, when, when I'm feeling like it, when I'm, when I'm you know, inspired, when I'm having a good day, I'll start following those things because they're a good idea. The problem is, um, there isn't a neutral zone. We need to look at it differently. It's not a case of I'm here and I could, I could follow Paul if I wanted to, but if not, I'll be okay. Like actually, the reality is we're either following Paul and the way of Jesus, or we're going the other way. We're following the enemies of Christ there is no neutral zone. Like actually, we are either um, going after Jesus or we're not. And so the choice is laid out for us. Like, do we want to follow and become like Paul? Or do we want to follow and become like those who are standing opposed to the cross, who are resisting and undermining Jesus? Because we have to make that choice. And if we don't, someone else is going to make it for us. It, can, it feels a little extreme sometimes, well, um, especially when I was preparing this, like writing the word enemy so often, it, feel, yeah, it feels quite extreme. But what's wrong with extremity when it comes to something of fundamental importance? And like actually, if you're looking for some nice, easy to swallow teaching, then I think maybe you might be shocked <laughs> when you dig into the way of Jesus. OK, so we've got this idea, follow Paul or follow the enemies, your choice. What would be helpful now is a bit more detail on what uh, what that looks like to go the wrong way, um, and we get that in verse nineteen. So let's read that. Their end is destruction. Their god is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset set on earthly things. So um, you can you can almost feel Paul's emotion in this, can't you? He's just like their end is destruction. Their god is their belly. They glory in their shame, and um, it's it's really helpful to have a bit more detail. I don't think this is an exhaustive list. Um, and he it, it kind of Paul summarizes it quite well when he says it's basically anyone who's got their mindset on earthly things. But he does say these three features. He does highlight them specifically, and I think actually if we um, if we notice a few things within them, that'll um, really help us to kind of understand a bit more where Paul's coming from. So um, what's the first one? Um, their end is destruction. Now, um, what's the problem here? Well. What Paul is saying, I think, is that um, for those people who oppose Christ, for those who are enemies of the cross, the end is ultimately the end. You know, um, they might have everything that the world has to offer, but without Christ, from an eternal perspective, they have nothing. You know, we, we know that famous um, verse from Jesus where he says, what good is it for man to, lose, to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Now, we need to be careful here that the amazing news of the Gospel is that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. Plus, we we have so many amazing promises like those in Romans 8 that says that anyone who is in Christ Jesus, um, nothing can separate them from God's love. You know, we we don't need to worry about our destiny. There's no mistake we could make, there's no wrong turn we could go down that that would wreck things for us. You know, um, we have hope and assurance in Jesus and we have a guarantee of salvation. Just wanted to make sure that that is absolutely clear. But I think the danger for us that Paul is highlighting here is not that we might be destroyed if we do something wrong. The danger is that um, we actually follow those enemies of Christ in losing sight of an eternal perspective, not seeing the world through heaven's lens. That we actually start to take on the pattern of the world, to start to follow in the same way and assume that, that this is all there is. And then live like it, live accordingly. You know, we actually don't view our life and our mission and the call that God's placed on us through that lens of this is just a just a, a brief moment in a whole eternity. And um, Eugene Peterson's written uh, some really interesting things about this, and uh, we won't go into it too detail, in too much detail. But he, uh, one of the things he says that happens if we don't have an eternal perspective is that we get um, lulled into being religious salesmen for stodgy moralism and respectable boredom. Paul himself gives us an example of what having an internal perspective looks like. We saw it in chapter one, you know, when he says that um, it's that kind of strange passage like, oh, I'd almost prefer to die, is what he says, because I'll know that then I'll be united with Christ. But if I have to, I guess I can stick around and be with you guys and, and sort of endure the suffering of, of staying alive longer because it means I could help some more people. And um, it's like that was the concession for him, like the goal would be to die and go with Jesus. Um, I wonder how often we, we ever think in terms like that. It feels quite foreign, it feels quite strange to us. But we see that clearly that Paul's understanding of eternity frames everything for him. Um, It frames everything that he's doing in the here and now. And if we're going to follow after him, then we need to do likewise. So we see that the pattern of the world says that life is limited. And and therefore, the message we get is is grasp it, grab hold of everything you can while you can. But the pattern of Christ, when it thinks about eternal life, it sees that that life is abundant. It's eternal. Um, So give it away (laughs) while you can, as freely as you can. And I wonder which of those examples we're following most often. So we've got their end is destruction. The second, uh, second thing in that verse is their God is their belly. And then um, this second characteristic, I think, is a little more obvious. And it's quite visceral, isn't it? We can imagine what Paul's thinking. It's ultimately, it's the kind of person who is living at the mercy of their desires. The person who is interested primarily in sorting themselves out. And there's so much that can be said here, um, probably a sermon series, but um, in essence, what we're talking about um, is what lies at the heart of all sin. And that is idolatry. The idea that we put something in the place where God should be. And more often than not, that something is ourselves. We make ourselves like our feelings, our thoughts, our desires, our bodies, our, everything about us, we make that the center of the universe and make that the highest point of authority from which everything else flows. Like what I need, what I want first. So um, I think someone who has a God, um, who has a belly for a God is idolatrous. But also I think um, someone in that position is someone who has, um, is fearful because they haven't, um, they've misplaced their trust. You know, when we lose sight of the God who's made us, the God who promised to sustain us and provide for us and make a way for us, um, we're left with one choice. We have to do it for ourselves. We have to make it happen for ourselves if we don't trust in God. And if we get into that point of view, it's not a particularly far jump to actually be like, well, to hell with everyone else. I just need to sort myself out. And it goes beyond the individual too. I mean just how frustrating and saddening and um, awful it is to look at all the things, the institutions and the systems around the world that are so obviously set up primarily to serve their own self-interest. We see it everywhere, don't we? You know, um, it's, it's so annoying to, to see leaders who obviously care more about um, like how people perceive them, how their supporters are going to react than the actual consequences of what they do. We see it in governments as well, don't we, that, that are concerned with staying in power rather than doing good. And it's, it's so annoying, it's so frustrating, and we want to see change. But what else are we to expect when those people have a, a belly for a god? Like, what else do we expect when people are primarily looking out for themselves? And while it's easy to get mad at other people and, and we, sh- we should want to see change, we should want to, um, to see breakthrough in all those areas, I think perhaps the most useful place to start is ourselves and actually thinking a bit closer to home. Like, first off, stop following their example. Stop being led by those who have a God for a belly and who are basically kind of following their desires and and putting themselves first. Just stop following them. Stop copying them. And then second, let's actually start to get aware about where that's happening ourselves and start to make some changes about it. Okay, the third one in this, verse 19. Um, and they glory in their shame. So I think in this one, Paul is basically taking the, um, the, the having a belly for a God a step further. Um, and it's like, it's one thing to be led by a desire um, that, mi- that might not, uh, you might not realize isn't okay. Sorry. It, it's one thing to kind of um, be following your body and, and not really realize that that was a problem. It's another thing entirely to openly celebrate or be celebrated for something which should bring you shame. This is exactly what Isaiah was prophesying about um, when he said this in uh, chapter 5 verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Similarly, Paul himself, he gives us um, a bit more detail on what this might look like in one of the letters to Timothy. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says this, But understand that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Avoid such people. These kind of, these kind of people, these kind of traits, these kind of behaviors, look out for them, but don't follow them. Don't continue their patterns. Stay away from them. Avoid them and it feels kind of obvious like we assume that we're going to do that because you know you go through that list and you're like yeah I don't want to do any of those things like I know that those things aren't what Jesus would have for me so I'm not going to follow them but i think actually if we if we look back at maybe our personal history but also at the corporate history of the whole world like how often has has have horrendous things happened that have claimed to be the right thing that have claimed to be righteous and moral and that the church has either ignored them or, or worse still, actually endorsed those things. Like, and I'm not sort of saying that to, to criticize it, but I guess just to be aware of the fact that we're probably not as good at spotting those things as that we assume that we are. Um, and I wonder what some of the battlegrounds are today. What are, what are some of the things that actually where the polarities of goodness and evil have been switched? Like, where actually are people being led by things that are false, that there are illusions and that actually there needs to be a kingdom reality that breaks through? Again, um, it's easier to point our finger at others. Um, but let's consider ourselves first. Like, actually, um, maybe actually there are, there are places in your life or there are things around you that you can see. And actually, you can, you can see that people are calling evil good and they're calling good evil. They've switched it and you're just choosing to ignore it. If that is the case, may I suggest you stop? I wonder if actually more likely is that um, there are probably these things around us, but we don't look that closely because actually whatever is happening is kind of working out for us. We're doing okay within it all. And so, you know, when your God is your belly, like getting what you need is justification enough for anything. So best not to peek behind the curtain and get too involved, lest we see something we don't want to. But again, I wonder if actually that's falling short of what God would have for us. Because ultimately, like, the commission that we have, you know, and that God's called us to follow the patterns of Jesus, to um, to be as representatives on the earth, like actually, what that looks like is, is to call out darkness for what it is. To refuse to to be contaminated by those things that stand against the cross. And as Paul himself said back in chapter two, you know, um, shine like stars amidst a crooked generation. It's really easy to read that and be excited to say, yes, I want to do it, but that's going to be completely impossible to do, to shine like a star. If we're also following people, modeling the behavior of those who celebrate sin and are being celebrated for what should be shameful. Okay, so uh, we're at the point where Paul's laid out his his example. Um, He's shown us a bit of what the other way might look like and implored us not to follow it. Um, Here comes some great news. (laughs) Okay, verse 20 to 21. But our citizenship, so many have gone the other way, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Uh, I'm just gonna move quickly through this bit, but just um, to notice some things. First off, that um, our identity as God's people is secure. You know, um, remember the, um, that Paul's writing to a Roman colony and how weighty that idea of citizenship is, how significant that word is. And Paul's like, your citizenship is in heaven. So we are now residents, we make our home in that place where, um, where everything is as God would have it would be. So we've got a firm identity, and um, we also have a saviour. His name's Jesus. He's rescuing us, like he's making our salvation more and more real. You know, he's pulling us out of the ways of darkness and into the ways of light. Um, and you know, salvation is not just about a ticket to heaven, but it's about being um, becoming a living example of Jesus. Um, next thing to notice about this is that Jesus is in the business of transformation. Kind of uh, like I was saying, it's not about just getting to heaven when you die, but there's a transformation that happens. Like, um, not just a sort of a little by little improvement, but actually a fundamental change in nature, um, which we're actually even going to see in our bodies. Like, it's it's an interesting verse. You know, it says like, "Who will transform our, our lowly body to be like His glorious body?" You know, this, this battleground of ours that where so much stuff um, tends to happen, like actually that's going to be transformed and changed and, and made just like Jesus is. And that's important to notice because um, all the stuff that we read in the Bible, that we see in the life of Jesus and Paul and other people, it's like we can see it as almost like that would be great, but I just don't think I can get there. But the message of this passage is it is possible. Transformation is possible, like following the way of Jesus is possible. We can do it. My final point is this, um, and it's a note on this transformation, what's going on. Um, Notice how um, Paul says that it's the same power that Jesus uses to subject all things to himself, by which he will also transform us to be like him. It's the same power. And I think that's interesting and important to notice because it's the same power that is doing this big transformation over here and this transformation over here. It's the same power because it's the same process. The same thing is happening. Um, It's part of the same activity. Um, Let me explain what I mean. Uh, We know from the book of Revelation that ultimately God is making all things new like the entirety of creation is going to be remade to exist as God always intended um this is awesome. I, it's something that I'd absolutely love to to meditate on and um reading the last couple of chapters of revelation and getting sort of a picture of what what God is doing it's incredible but i wonder if sometimes we can sort of look at this this macro transformation that's going to happen this all things new this new heaven and new earth um and sort of see it as as almost like some kind of like magic in the atmosphere that's just sort of going to happen one day and that um, that maybe we could tap into at points there's just some kind of transformational stuff happening in the atmosphere that we can find and um, maybe for the less sort of mystically inclined and um, perhaps we think you know we, we think of this all things new happening this recreation happening and we, and we just imagine that there's going to be some sort of specific project or some some kind of burst of activity that's going to get the settings just right. We'll have, you know, we'll have trial and error everything. We'll we'll have it exactly perfect and we'll do this thing. And then boom, transformation is going to happen. The floodgates of heaven will open and and we'll, we'll see something come. Um, and then, now maybe I'm sort of caricaturing those a little bit. But still, I think w- really what happens, the transformation that happens is the transformation in us. That's why it's the same power, because it's the same process. We ourselves become the patterns, the walking patterns of what all things new looks like. And as we become those patterns, we draw others into the journey. You know, it's not, um, it's not like spiritual bangs and whistles that, that are gonna alter the fabric of society. But it's the long obedience in the same direction of faithful followers of Jesus. Being transformed from the inside out. That is what is going to make all things new. Um, Dallas Willard again, uh, Dallas Willard is is a wonderful um, author. He says this "Um, There is no effectual response to our current situation except for the children of light to be who and what they were called to be by Christ their head. The call is to be his apprentices, alive in the power of God, learning to do all he said to do, leading others into apprenticeship with him, and also teaching them how to do everything he said. Like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is the path to transformation. So going back to what I said at the start, this is why having a communal, a corporate view of your discipleship is really important because it it allows us to see what's at stake if we don't bother. You know, if we see this whole idea of like persevering and pressing on and growth and setting an example and and, and all these kind of things, if we see those as optional extras for the keen Christians, actually we're missing the fact that these very things are supposed to be the fuel in the fire of global transformation. And I think it feels quite timely to be um, looking at this passage at the same time as as we're walking through Scattered Servants um, through like, city groups and, and, and other places. And um, it's a really exciting time at the moment because as, as we're kind of reading these stories and, and, and getting inspired, like we're seeing um, hunger rise amongst us for the supernatural. We're seeing people um, stepping out and taking risks, you know, maybe for the first time, maybe f- for the first time in a long time. Um, a kind of, and you know, we're we're reimagining what it might look like for us as as a church to um, to reach out to a city and, and to bring life, and a, and that kind of imagination brings sort of impetus and excitement, and it's awesome. But um, but for that to be more than a burst of activity, more than something that is kind of we're enthusiastic about for a couple of months, like that, it needs fuel. And it needs the kind of slow burning fuel that doesn't doesn't require enthusiasm and and external motivation, like actually that sort of internal fuel. Um, and, And I believe that that fuel is is everything we've been talking about this morning. It's the commitment to the way of Jesus, to that sort of slow, enduring process of transformation. Of him, of knowing that our identity is secure, knowing that we don't have to fear anything, but that, that God is changing us to be like his son Jesus. And, and that is the fuel for, for city transformation, for global transformation. And that's that's the thing it's got to be burning on. Um, and it's coming back to chapter two again, that 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 has to flow from seeing others as more important than ourselves. Seeing, like humility, self-sacrifice. You know, not running the race for ourselves or for our team or for our benefit, but for the benefit of others, emptying ourselves for others through love. So pulling this all together in conclusion, um, we are all following someone and have others following us. There's a choice we have to make about whether we're going to follow the example of Paul, which was the example of Jesus, or follow the enemies of the cross. Paul himself followed Jesus, and uh, the framework for that we get beautifully and powerfully in chapter 2. The enemies of the cross, on the other hand, have their minds set on earthly things. They think the end is the end, and so they live like it. They're led by their desires and their self-interest. They've subverted true goodness, and they celebrate what is evil. But we are not bound to the same course. We have been rescued by Jesus and given a new identity in heaven. This identity isn't just assurance for the future, but permission for our very nature to change here and now through the same power that Jesus is using to transform the whole cosmos. This shouldn't surprise us because God's vehicle for the transformation of the whole cosmos is you and I the long obedience in the same direction of the followers of Jesus that he's using to transform everything and that we're committed to his ways and pulling others in with us. So then what next for you? Choose who you're following wisely. Think about those questions that I asked at the start and make some changes if you need to. Second, recognize what's at stake with your discipleship journey that it's about more than just you. It's not just an optional extra if you get round to it. There's some real significance on it. And thirdly, um, if you want to be part of the greatest transformation the world has ever seen, commit to the long game and don't rely solely on bursts of seasonal activity um, fueled by external motivation. I'm just gonna close um, by praying this prayer over us. It's a prayer that I've learned recently from the Book of Common Prayer and I love it. And I would just love to close uh, our time together today. So um, why don't you close your eyes and listen as I read this over you. Most loving Father, whose will it is for us to give thanks for all things, to fear nothing but the loss of you and to cast all our care on you who cares for us. Preserve me from faithless fears and worldly anxieties that no clouds of this mortal life may hide from me the light of that love which is immortal and which you have manifested to us in your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.